This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello there. Welcome to you wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast, the weekend edition. My name is Peter Gowers and uh, I'd like to introduce you now to Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? Oh, good to meet you, Pete. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. It's great to meet you too. <laughs> it's a bit weird getting back into it, isn't it? It does. It's been a sluggish start to 2021 for various reasons. But um, what I'm going to say is that I loved your enthusiasm when I spoke to you the other day about what's coming up this year. So um, to to anyone who's listened before and plans on continuing to listen, don't worry. The uh, the vibe and the momentum is coming back quickly. It certainly is, and I also want to take this opportunity to reach out to any of our listeners uh, and ask them uh, if if they want to come on the podcast or if they want to recommend someone that we should interview on the podcast, uh, please don't be shy. Uh, send us an email or um, or get, get on Facebook or Instagram and drop us a line uh, because I can tell you it is your recommendations uh, that generally end up being the ones that are listened mm. to the most. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Well, of course, being a weekend, we need to introduce our other co-host for this episode. Weekends with Walshy, Christopher Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Welcome back. Hey, guys. Good to see you again after the, the holiday madness. <laughs> back at it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you the listeners have been missing you, Walshy. They've been asking me where you are. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good to have you back. It's good to have some uh, some uh, any, an injection of uh, adrenaline into the news. I, I, this is the way I describe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. After yeah, you know, we needed a break. We needed a break. We needed a few weeks off. Um, it was a very long goddamn year um, of like launching, you know, an, a, 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 an online newspaper in the middle of a of a global pandemic and uh, and all the craziness that came along with that. So, in the whole year, you know, and what happened, and things that we uh, that we foresaw, and things we didn't foresee, and um, all the madness. So, anyways, good to have a couple bre- a couple weeks break, but uh, certainly good to be back now in january and start getting you know start holding the government accountable again because they seem to really enjoy the holidays <laughs> time <laughs> lazing around and not doing what they should be doing for people so um yeah so we're back kind of lighting that fire i think it seems that politicians globally have been sitting around not doing much for the last few months by the sound of things yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> well i gotta say uh look um you know, we we do bash the government uh, when the opportunity presents itself, which uh, generally happens a lot. But uh, I, I've got to say, I have to congratulate the government on the handling of the COVID nineteen uh, crisis because um, there are more and more people that I know personally that have got COVID overseas, yeah. uh, and and I'm talking about first world countries here. So. Um, uh, kudos to uh, Michael Gunner and to Labor uh, and to everyone in the public service that has uh, been involved in uh, keeping the territory safe. Well done. The front like line to- people for sure. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. I'd like to pose a question here, gentlemen, because I had this conversation with someone just the other day. Good luck or good design? What do you think has been the uh, overwhelming factor? 
I think that it's that you've got a combination of things like that. I mean, the design is there. I mean, geographically, where we are um, is advantageous to us. You know, the other thing, and I was having lunch with somebody today, an observer of all of this, you know, an informed territorian who's been monitoring everything, who said, you know, well, and we just got talking about things. And isn't it funny that really the, the, the failings of the economy, in a way, have really helped us too? You know, there's no one coming here. Mm-hmm. there's no one who wants to come here for business there's no one who um you know they they didn't set this up you look at like in toronto like i was sending you guys beforehand where my mother is in canada and um you know they never they never closed the borders there they never shut down the flights and it's like people still come in from wherever all over the world and go there but you know it's these places that don't get visited as much even when the the, the, the borders aren't closed to them that that don't seem to have the outbreaks and that's just like you know part of the geography of this place but it's interesting because i know we're going to get into some of the issues here of what happened kind of over the holidays here um and we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit i think with the uh, military the adf personnel and the foreign military personnel coming in and just and, I, and i'll tell you guys some about some conversations i had with some with some health workers here in the nt and what they said about it because yeah that's mm. that's not in keeping with what the plan was here to keep us all safe but uh, just to your point about no one wanting to come here i mean i think that's probably correct mm. in relation to international travelers because the borders are basically shut mm. but uh, domestically we must be having some sort of increase in population chris because i can tell you yeah. from uh, you know talking to real estate agents around town and property managers uh, you know, property uh, prices, uh, well, at least um, rentals, rental prices are going up and going yeah. up fairly significantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can't account for that. I mean, look, the tourism thing was going down steadily over years. The tourism uh, numbers were going down just terribly and really affecting the, the industry because people just stopped coming. But um, yeah, in terms of now and why they're doing that, I don't know. And, like I said before to you guys on here, I mean, is it is that like really that we've been fortunate that people haven't really broken the laws? I guess they haven't shown up if they've been ill. I still can't really explain the whole no community transmission here. It seems by the law of averages and the numbers that we are eventually getting here that we would have community transmission by now. So the reason we're not. Uh, yeah does it have as much to do with the policies which are pretty much the same everywhere and you have this the outbreaks that happen or yeah is there something else going on here and have we just been been very fortunate and has it been people's good work on their own that they haven't traveled well ill and um and 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 followed the rules i don't know but whatever it is it's still working and it's good here now so Mm. and leon uh Speaking as a licensed real estate agent, um, shame on you for taking your news from other real estate people. <laughs> well, I think I might have mentioned you, but I just don't look at you and think of you as a real estate agent. <laughs> I actually wonder what I think of you most of the time. When yeah, I'm exactly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm as confused as you are, don't worry. I was just really pleased that while she didn't mention that uh, it was the last two live recordings of the podcast that were the reason why he was broken after the work year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those Those live recordings were fantastic. We enjoyed them a lot. And uh, I I know our listeners enjoyed them because uh, they are the the highest rating uh, podcast Mm. that we released from last year. Yeah. Yeah, Well, 
I suppose we should get into this year and let's uh, look at some of the uh, hot items that are making news. Uh, Chris, the NT Anti-Corruption Commissioner Ken Fleming has announced his retirement. Yeah, that was a bit of a, a surprise move here just late Thursday afternoon. Um, a statement comes out from the office of the ICAC uh, saying that he's retiring. Now, as of July, he'll uh, he'll be heading back to Queensland. Um, after about three years now, by July, I think it'll be three years that he's been in the role. And, of course, he operated as the first, the NT's first independent commissioner against corruption and, uh, you know, really had a, the difficult challenge of um, putting everything together, I guess, putting in the staff, the systems and the processes uh, to really get the ICAC up and going. It's since done what I think we had said before, like four reports or something. One really big report, of course, that being into the former speaker, Kezia Purek, and her corrupt conduct in office um, that resulted in her resignation. So that's you know, I was gonna we're gonna do something like that. And we'll see what happens before the end of July, but I guess he could put up like the the scalp tab. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I was wondering. He, he taken here? And uh yeah, look, in terms of that, I mean you've got you've got um Kizzy Purek, who's you know, that's she's still suing him, remember? She's still yeah. got this in the Supreme Court that she claimed she was denied procedural fairness, although I think that if you read that report, you'd see that she was very much afforded procedural fairness. And I don't really know where that claim's coming from. But anyway, that's still before court, and that'll work itself out. He's, he's of course, dismissed that. But, um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. But it, it, I guess in the time between, you know, one of the things that he said was that in the statement, he said that he was looking forward to seeing, uh, quote, long-term operational activities that were currently being undertaken by the ICAC office quote, becoming apparent in 2021. So um, I think kind of a, a nod there to the fact that they've got some reports that we can expect to come out this year. Uh, what will happen in the next six months? I don't know. I mean, look, we've, the story's going around that, you know, there are a few reports and some explosive ones even that are going to come, uh, yeah, be presented to the public in the next little bit that's going to get into, I mean, look, he's, he said this before on ABC radio, I think not too long ago about um, uh, systemic issues in the public service and corruption issues there that, that he's got a report coming out on. So that's going to be interesting to see. I think in the end, you know, he, he had said that um, he kind of, he kind of put it down as saying, you know, without being ageist, he said, I'll observe the new direction of the agency with keen interest, secure in the knowledge, that my successor will approach the task with fresh eyes and energy. So kind of saying that, uh, you know, he's, he's done, he's ready to retire and hoping that, uh, that his successor comes in and, and, and has those fresh eyes and energy. And of course, you know, I guess he's contributed his part here to get it up and running and to the, to the, to where it's, it's operating, we think somewhat smoothly, uh, in terms of how all the parts are supposed to go. And I know that their budget has increased and I know that, um, they've got more investigators and they've got a lot of staff, uh, looking into things. So that's all ready to go. I guess we'll see what happens now that, of course, a uh, national recruitment process will be, uh, commencing, um, that will be managed by the Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet to look for the replacement. So. Um, we'll look we'll look forward to finding out who that is. I guess in the next four months or so, I think they probably announce it. Is that um, odd, is that odd that they'd be handling the recruitment? Well, it's like it's what they did before um, when they picked him. 
you know, somebody right. does ultimately have to make the decision. As I recall, there was like a panel put together and, um, yeah. And, and he, he was a successful candidate. We'll see, you know, they want to do it. You know, you don't want like Michael Gunner can't actually be sitting on a board or a panel <laughs> that picks who he is. Yeah. So that'll be deferred and they'll have people appointed to do that. Um, and to keep it kind of separate. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, because you know you 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 need to have that impression that it's all completely separate, and of course it is. And you've got the ICAC inspector too, McClintock, who I don't think will change, uh, who will oversee the ICAC. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But I, you know, I don't. I like, look personally, just I think that that it was a difficult job. I think that Ken Fleming did a good job in that in that role for for what he had and how he was able to do it, and. The thing is that, and the thing that just makes me nervous about the whole thing is that, like, I don't know, I just, I got a good feeling about Fleming. I think that we could trust Fleming to do the right thing. And I'm worried that whoever they bring in next, you know, might have different, different agenda maybe for how they want this office to operate. And, you know, once you start bringing in inside people too from the NT, I don't know if they have to go outside again. Um, but yeah, it'll just be something to watch, and we'll we'll be watching it for sure at the Independent because we know how how important this position is and how um, how crucial it is really to establishing the NT as a respectable jurisdiction again, right? I mean, when when this happened when the ICAC was so when Michael Gunner was elected in 2016 I mean one of the only promises he kept about integrity was actually bringing in the ICAC and it took him like two years and it was the business community that got him you know sat down with him after he was elected and said look number one integrity issues we need the ICAC and we want the ICAC now because they know that that's going to clean things up in the public service and they also know that having a clean jurisdiction um, has other benefits and reciprocal effects that you actually get private investment, you know, that long elusive private investment that we've been dying for here since impacts. Um, the only way that, that comes, and it's not by people thinking that the NT's done such a good job when, you know, with ship lifts and all the government funding that goes with it, that's not what's going to attract. It's going to be that it's a clean jurisdiction and that people know that it's a, you know, level playing field when they show up here. I mean, what really damaged that was the whole damn Murphy saga. And uh, it was seen that there wasn't a level playing field and the private investment wasn't really welcome here. Um, but to, to some extent, the ICAC, when they start cleaning up the public service, starts instilling people's faith, not just locally here, but across the country. And in fact, internationally, that there are checks and balances in place, that it's a clean jurisdiction, a good place to do business. So that role is very important. And um, I just hope that the next person that they bring in kind of has that same vision for it that, that of just how crucial it is and how uncomfortable it's going to be sometimes to really get into it because, you know, of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases that he had, he's really scratched the surface here yet. And we don't really know the extent of everything else, but we know that it's systemic issues here in the NT and the public service. This is not stuff that's going to be fixed overnight. It's going to take a while. And the first step is to expose it and to bring it out to light and not fear the consequences of that. So, yeah, look, I, I think the Kim Fleming's done a good job. Um, I just hope that the next person they bring in uh, has that same kind of vision and ability. Mm. Let's hope so. Okay, uh, second story: Labor Minister Labor Minister's three hundred thousand dollars shopping centre fit out <laughs> revealed. What's that all about, Chris? Yeah, this is um, well, just talking about that and how business should be done 
here, <laughs> you know, transparently and above board. And then you get stories like this. So what happened was now about five months before the election last year, uh, it was infrastructure minister, Eva Lawler moved her, her, uh, her Drysdale electorate office out in Palmerston. She decided that the, the electorate office she had wasn't good enough anymore. She was in like some little strip plaza next to the McDonald's there on university Avenue. And she decided you know, that's, this isn't good enough for me. There's a brand new flashy shopping center down the street. I'd like to get in there. So look, I don't know if, if the lease had expired. I imagine that it did for that place. But I also know through protocols that they can renegotiate that lease and get things that they want and save money. And when you're in a in trying times like this financially, you'd be looking to save money, not not going all out for a new office. But this is exactly what happened. And now what we've seen is that she then goes and she says that she wants to move her electorate office to Gateway Shopping Center. So, you know, somebody approves it, the Legislative Assembly, the Speaker, or the Chief Minister, somebody approves it and says, go for it, knock yourself out, and uh, here's a blank check. And so what happened now, what we found, is that they they did this fit-out for this space to turn it into a, an electorate office for her, but they didn't go to public tender process on it. So... Essentially, this blank check was given to Gateway Shopping Center, and they said, okay, go ahead, just fit this out for us. So they came back and said, okay, it's going to cost $308,000. And, you know, taxpayers footed the bill for that $308,000 to fit out for our electorate of this. Borrowed yeah. dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so done that's through, for $4 million a day. Yeah, <laughs> done right. through Dipple and not, and not, 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 looked at for any value here at all i mean they just said no it's you know the build the gateway owns the building they can use their own contractors they can do whatever they want here and price doesn't matter so uh now at the same time at the same time we go back and we look at like things that eva lawler's doing at the time like we know that last march that you know, well, the, the the effects of, of course, the pandemic's coming in, and this is stuff where they would say, oh, this is to keep the local economy moving along. Well, now they couldn't do it because they've already fitted it out earlier in the year. Um, but this is around the time and just, you know, a month or two after, you know, Gunner's really cracked down and saying that he's going to sack um, chief executives if they don't stay within their budgets and stuff, that everybody's got to do the quote-unquote heavy lifting. Um, we've got to find savings where we can. We're in a financial mess. And then you've got them just with blank checks through being thrown around here to, to fit out electorate offices. Now, the same, about a week after she moves in, so she moves in there around March 1st, 2020. A week later, she puts out a press release, Eva Lawler does, um, talking about a youth drop-in center in Palmerston that they had, had set up and how great it was going to be to help solve youth crime issues in the city. And uh, she talks about, all of this uh, this work that's going to be done, you know, the, we're fitting it out right now. It's going to have an office space, a kitchen, an arts and crafts area, TV and gaming lounge, workstation, external toilets, putting in all new bathrooms, wherever. Um, the total for that was $120,000. So for some reason, her own electorate office was more than double the price of FITO for a youth drop-in center. And they cannot explain that. They cannot tell us why. Did you ask, did you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we sent questions. And, and you know, like, and then I, she was on ABC radio this morning, and I think they asked her about it. Well, they did. 
And she said, oh, look, that's contract stuff and tenders. I can't have anything to do with that. You know, I'm separate from that. <laughs> it's like, no, Eva, you're the local member. You went to them and said you wanted to move to Gateway. The first question yeah. we asked was, why Gateway? Did yeah. the minister consider costs or anything on this? Right? Like, you know, we've talked to people in there. We've talked to tenants in there. It's $15,000 a month for a small retail yeah. outlet there space are we paying that i don't know i mean they wouldn't tell us what the cost of the lease were either so this chris, is three hundred thousand just for the fit out chris you need to stick on this story right yeah. you need to stick on this story and find out who actually won the tender to do this work yeah well that's it so now according to the dipple documents that i have all it says on it is gateway shopping center yeah. so gateway shopping center can do i guess what they want with it but yeah, exactly. Who did the work? Yeah, we got to find that out. Um, so, know, so, 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 sorry, Gateway Shopping Center did the fit out, did they? Yeah, that's what they've claimed that they can that do it themselves because right. they own it. So, well, you would think that they would use a local contractor, but well, well no, but normally what they happens is their own what, margins in. Yeah, because normally what happens is when you're leasing, when you do a commercial lease, you do the fit out yourself. I mean, the landlord could do the fit out, but generally it's the tenant that does the fit out, isn't it, Pete? Absolutely, it's the tenant. There's no landlord spending three hundred eight thousand dollars fitting out a tenant's uh, offices. No yeah. way. Well, that's what happened in this case, and they've done this before, where they call it um, building owner works. That's just, and they say we don't have to go to public tender process. We don't have to put it out to to look for bids. It's it's uh, yeah, owner but building owner it, works. It, it it's just semantics. I mean, that's just a discussion that. Yes, they've had amongst themselves, and that's how they've got around it. There's no way Gateway's paid for it. No, but if they did, if the landlord did the works, then that would be reflected in the rent that they pay, surely. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. Chris, Chris, you've got to check this stuff out, right? Because there's a lot of this sort of stuff that's going on that is really worth drilling down. I mean, you ask an extremely good question, why does the youth drop-in centre? Is that also in Gateway or somewhere else? No, it's down the road there, but it's not far. But it's yeah, right. It's just yeah, it, it's just worth asking the question. But the thing that jumped out at me in that article was yeah. that uh, was that her electorate office is not even in her electorate. <laughs> I was, I, I, oh come I, on, Leon! <laughs> <laughs> I looked that up because I thought, like, I wonder, and I looked it up, and I thought, Jesus, it isn't in there. And then, and here's the other thing. Now, here's where they were. So she's in this little plaza building there with um you know, some other businesses and whatever. And she goes up there. That gateway is kind of taking a lot of business away from those two other malls in Palmerston. Those two other malls are actually in her electorate. And furthermore, the whole like Palmerston CBD is in her electorate. Like there are places for her to go in her electorate that would be better for her promoting the local community and local businesses to support rather than want to go to the big flashy new shopping center. And, uh, and uh, anyway, that's but nobody. Well, this is, where, I mean, this is where you've got to give Leah Finocchiaro a little bit of a tick because, uh, as I understand it, uh, I don't even know who the guy who, who who's the member for Brennan now. Uh, oh yeah, it was um, it was Tony. Sanders. No, I think it's it's Mary Claire. She Mary. Be? Okay, right. So she would be in the Palmerston Shopping Centre, I think, because that's where Tony Seavers was in. Oh yeah, that's right. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, just outside of Target, and then you've got um, at Oasis would be Turner, then I guess, huh? At Oasis, yes, it is Turner because I've yeah. gone there to meet him. Yeah, uh, and then Leah Finocchiaro is in 
that little Rosebury, sorry, it's a Coley shopping centre, that little. Yeah, that's mm. right. right? So yeah. She's out there in the burbs in her electorate. Um, you know, question mark whether the, the other three are. Yeah, in their, in their yeah, yeah. I don't know how they determine that and how they can just get away with going wherever I guess they want. But, you know, I think it's in Spillet. I think the gateway's actually in Spillet. So yeah. conceivably, she should hand over the keys to that office. Well, interesting, isn't it? But, yeah, no, look, we've got to really keep an eye on these tenders because yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, you know, sometimes, you know, when you, when you hear these numbers, they just mm-hmm. simply don't add up. They yeah. just don't add up to the ordinary person. Yep. They don't. Now, speaking of numbers, uh, the NT economy is poised for growth again, but uh, some of the same old obstacles remain in place. Yeah, so there was a kind uh, of new report here by Deloitte uh, access ep- economics, um, looking at kind of across the country here, really, on what to expect for 2021. Uh, the NT was looking good. Um, you know, they had uh, Aaron Hill, an economist with Deloitte on ABC this week, radio, and uh, he was uh, quite encouraged, said that there's real cause for optimism in the NT uh, in terms of economic conditions here for, for 2021. Uh, you know, provided uh, that, that, you know, of course, the uh, the virus stays at bay and things um, progress the way that they hope and with the vaccine and with people traveling around. Now, the, the, the kind of caveat on all of this is when you start looking at it a little bit more, one is that, um, that of course, the two biggest issues that the economy has been facing here for so long and we just haven't been able to solve yet is one how do we keep people here um and you know these numbers that we're talking about of i know that some people are talking about rents being higher and uh, people coming i don't i don't know if that's like long term you're going to be able to bank on that 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 this is a real thing or is it just some sort of blip some sort of population blip that has to do with the virus and things that just go back to the way they were because there's nothing really here to attract the people unless you're looking at public service jobs or something maybe these days i mean what's sustainable for that so look the the, the population growth and keeping it that's a big problem there, there's no easy solution for that but of course these numbers are looking promising now um but the other one always was, of course, and we spoke about it earlier, was attracting private investment to the Northern Territory. And in the in the uh, the report that came out, uh, they were saying the government, you know, in order to 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 get this going, really needs to um, support, as they put it, support uh, a private industry when they uh, show up here and to make things as easy for them to do business as possible and whether or not that's money. I mean, you know, that that's what's been going on here for years, right? The first port of call for any new uh, business coming into town is to go cap in hand to the government and see what kind of money and not even new businesses. I mean, you've got established businesses who are, are worth billions. You've got like past pallies. I mean, that's what they do. I mean, their first port of call is let's go to government, get some money for some. Why would we spend our own money in our hometown and, and promote this place? So, yeah. uh, yeah, look, the, when you also look at it, uh, Victoria, of course, forecasts to be the fastest growing economy this year, 5.3%. Queensland next to 4.6%, New South Wales at 44 Uh The NT was up there around 3.2%, but it was second only, like second last, only to the ACT, which they're expecting to be the slowest at about 2.4%. Um, they're saying that it was good because of how 
the NTs dealt with COVID, how we haven't really had any community transmission, you know, the economy's been moving here as well as it can um, on its own. Uh, but again, it was week before the pandemic hit. And so, uh, you know, we still talk about this. Look, when we, when we look at that uh, economic reconstruction report, we keep talking about these projects on the horizon, the Sun Cable, um, the gas reserves in the Beetaloo Basin, uh, a lot of other projects that the government's talked about for years but can't actually put on the books because we don't know where they're actually at and how they're going to contribute. So um, I think what you can take away from that Deloitte report is that um, – Things look good here. The, he, you know, he pointed to uh, housing construction numbers being good, and of course, um, the real estate numbers, how they are, and the rent rental figures, and everything like that. that that's good. So, I think that there's some good potential here for things to happen now. How the government actually manages that and figures out ways to fill it in and to make sure that that it happens the way it's all set up to happen. That's going to be the challenge, and that's always been the challenge here in the NT, and, and whether or not the government can find its role and figure its role out and actually facilitating something instead of getting in the way of it or instead of just, you know, blowing a bunch of taxpayer dollars at it, something that's not going to happen. And we've seen that already. So, um, yeah, but anyway, look, overall, I guess we, we can be a bit positive for this year and hope for good things. Look, I hate to turn up to this conversation throwing negativity at you left, right and centre, but I've I, I got to say I, I've seen – a fair bit of documentation on this whole debate. And while it's fantastic that the NT is set to have some positive growth, it, it is so far off what it needs to be to sink its teeth into paying off this debt, to getting things going, it's farcical. It really is. I mean, yes, it's great that there's something positive and that there's not a, a negative before the numbers, but it's nowhere near what it needs to be. Well, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, where where does the government, where, like, where does the government have to come in and actually start doing something that's that's sustainable moving yeah. forward? And that the, they have to start doing some big things. And that and that economic reconstruction commission report, I don't think, really pointed to anything groundbreaking uh, there that's really going to turn things around for us. It's all pretty stale ideas that we've been talking about for years here, anyway. And, Absolutely, and the things that haven't come to fruition yet. So, yeah, and look, I. And you could see the chief minister – sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but you could see the chief minister backpedaling from his uh, dais, from his lectern, as he was starting to talk about it because he basically put it all on the hands of the private sector and <laughs> said, oh, well, the government will be here to support, but it, you can read clearly that it, it, we don't have to do this. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not. But – and and – yeah, and that's the problem. I mean, look, he's been talking about this for years. He knows this has been identified in every single economic report he's done, in every financial report, every budget crisis report. Is the government can't continue to do what it's doing here? It can't prop up the economy. It needs to have that private investment. But we've seen yeah. no real clear indicators that Gunner understands that or that he's taken any steps or measures to facilitate that. At this point, it's 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 still just here's some cash and let's hope and we maybe we build some roads, mm. but there's nothing there to really get it there. And and like I said, I mean, it's such a holistic thing too about everything having to be right and yeah, to yeah. make it an attractive place for investment and things. You know, systemic issues here are just still yeah. so bad that how are you, how do you fix that? How can you do that when? Like Leon, like you said before numerous times, where the you know they're competing with private, the the, the government's competing with private business for Correct. employees and stuff like that. 
it's yeah they've got to figure out a way to get out of the way a lot of the times oh, they just they yeah. just do not understand this concept chris government is pricing the private sector out of the market on wages let me repeat that for people that are listening the government the northern territory government is pricing the private sector out of the market for labor and they are doing that because they continue to increase public service wages in an economic environment where the private sector can't mm. <laughs> And then we wonder why we're not getting the private investment, why businesses aren't setting up here and stuff. So, mm. yeah, there, there's so many issues to go back and, and really deal with that we haven't seen that appetite to do yet. So until that happens, um, here we are, and we'll, we'll get more reports of here's some potential. How do we reach that potential? And yeah. That's the tricky part. That's the rub. Well, I think you got to, I think you got to go back to your roots in this situation. And uh, I think, uh, the, the, the chief should encourage Big W to open a super center in the Smith Street Mall. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. You've got you to do something. We need to get the footfall back into the mall. That might do it. You never know. <laughs> well, they're counting on a half a billion dollar uh, university to yeah. do that. <laughs> that's right. But and again, that's not feasible. That's not making any sense, any economic mm. sense. Uh, yeah, God help us. Well, uh, I put a post up on LinkedIn the other day, Chris. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, um, but it has, it has, let me have a look at it now. It has 7,800 views. Uh, those are good numbers. Right. <laughs> and it was basically um, a photograph of a, uh, a vacancy in the Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet for a senior administrative officer, one, with a remuneration package of $142,000 to $158,000. <laughs> and uh, the spiel was provide high-quality advice to the director, executive director, and government agencies on economic and environmental policy and reform issues affecting the Territory and lead, manage, and undertake relevant research and analysis to accelerate sustainable economic development. <laughs> mm. Okay. Uh, quality De advice. Yeah. <laughs> Department of Chief Minister, one hundred forty-two to one hundred fifty-eight thousand. I can tell you right now, Chris, so if crazy. the private sector was operating in that environment, they would say, you know what. Even if this is a legitimate vacancy, like someone left the job, the private sector would say, "Let's not fill it, mm -hmm. right? Let's just let's just not. We don't have the money to fill this. Let's just not fill it. Let's just use this as an opportunity to cut out one job, save ourselves one hundred and fifty thousand dollars." Yeah, and I'm sure the other guys in the department can band together and provide us with. Uh, economic and environmental policy reforms uh, uh, reform well, issues affecting the territory. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it sounds like a pretty important role that one person is going to come up with all the economic <laughs> and environmental policies yeah. for this. And he's given the answer to the director. 
<laughs> Who's so, going to make the decision yeah, anyway? And what are they getting paid? <laughs> so, 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 so what I said in the, in the post, Chris, was this. I said, the Northern Territory government has a serious problem. This problem is made up of two components. Number one, growth in the number of public servants. Number two, growth in public service wages. It is a problem that has existed for over a decade. It doesn't matter which party is in power, they can't seem to bring this problem under control. It is the main reason why the current government is borrowing $4 million a day and is paying $1 million a day in interest. Think about that. 25% of the money the government is borrowing each day goes to pay interest. Here is today's example of government waste. Another $150,000 salary for a policy officer working in the Department of Chief Minister. This is after there was supposed to be a freeze on public sector employment. Until the federal government turns the financial tap off, we will continue to see the NT sink under a weight of unrepayable debt. Yeah, well, man, I'm not arguing. I think you know that. Uh, I think that that's, yeah, the, the, a combination of a lot of things we've talked about here, and you can see it right there on one ad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the actual yeah. problems with this place. Uh, how many people at that rate do they need? Yeah, it's like you said. I mean, they, you, you'd start making some savings there, but how many people, uh, I wonder, are employed in that exact same role? More than should be. Uh, and yet there were some com- there, there was actually only two comments that were uh, against what I'd written there <laughs> and and uh, when I ch- <laughs> I'm just going to read this to you and people can go and look it up themselves and find out who wrote it. These policy officers are essential positions in any government. While the NT is small, it still needs to operate at a national and international level. They still need to do the same level of work and produce the same outputs as interstate departments with thousands of employees. Do you think the politicians come up with policy research and advice? Someone needs to do that work so politicians are able to represent the interests of the NT no matter if you agree with a particular policy position or not. NT policy officers punch above their weight when benchmarked against interstate colleagues They don't have the luxury of working in specialist streams. They must master a number of them. So if you haven't worked for a state government in a policy space, please take the time to speak to someone who has and ask them about their work. You might be enlightened. Uh, Thanks, Cam Angus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, I I don't know. (laughs) People are justifying. And I strongly... Uh, would put to you, Chris, and to you, Peter, that that is the advice that the government is getting internally, mm-hmm. and that is why they do not have the fortitude to actually do what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, you talked about that before, Leon, the kind of being surrounded by sycophants and, and just listening to these people in this bubble, in this echo chamber, and that's it. You're going to get public servants telling you how important public servants are. But look, yeah, look, you need people to come up with these kind of things. You need, but you need smart people. You need good people. And the fact that they've been trying for this long and they still have to hire positions like this, or they claim they do, what the hell have the people been in that role been doing for the past four or five years? Yeah. Anyway, um, 
Let's move on, mate, before yeah, we start, uh, before we have to break up the, the scotch. <laughs> 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 Defence personnel in Darwin Hotel quarantine released as details of virus remain unclear. Yeah, this was this crazy story here, getting back to what we were talking about, about how well the NT has done uh, throughout this <laughs> pandemic. Well, here's where they, they started to, to roll the dice a little bit here, I think. I think uh, old Dr. Hugh there uh, felt it in his bones. You know, he's getting bored these days. He's like, you know, everything's been going pretty well for us here. How this can is, we take a little bit of risk here? <laughs> this is tatering more on the luck side, I think, now, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So he uh, he decides, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have a little fun now. He's gonna roll the dice. Let's see what happens. Because I mean, it really, it makes no sense. So we're the ones. The Independent broke this story on the Monday, uh, the fourth, I think it was that that um, that this deal had been struck. This deal had been put in place. I talked to some sources in in the health department. Uh, a lot of people with a lot of knowledge of of exactly what this deal was and a lot of people who were frankly pissed off that this had happened and that this had been allowed to happen so what it was was that the adf's come in and they've and they've said okay we've got some people we're bringing in now they've said that this is all just um uh you know foreign defense officials that's not true that's not from what i understand there's there's adf people there's australian diplomats involved there's a whole bunch of people that they brought over. There are foreign um, defense personnel as well. Now, these people were coming in. There was a flight of about 250 of them um, are all in. There were some like 300, they said later. And there were different flights that were coming in from places unknown. Like one of the, the first flights that came in uh, on that day, on that Monday, was from Singapore. But the, the, you had people that had traveled from all around different Asian places and, in fact, Europe who had all met in Singapore and got on the plane and came here. Now, the, the part that became a problem was that they weren't going into that the international quarantine facility at Howard Springs, which, you know, and they've patted themselves on the back and they deserve that there for that, saying that this is the gold standard. And I mean, look, we've seen this week, we've seen uh, the premiers in New South Wales and Queensland, especially in Queensland, Palaget saying, look, we want to, we want our Howard, we want a Howard Springs facility like this. Like they're starting to realize now after 10 months that, oh wait, all of the outbreaks have come from hotel quarantine. Is there some way we can get rid of not use hotel quarantine? But here in the NT, we didn't get that. We thought, let's have some hotel quarantine for fun here and see what if we can have a little magic ourselves here. So now you've got a lot of health officials who are pissed off because ADF has said, we don't want to go to the gold standard, the place that's keeping this country safe. We don't want our people going there. And they don't even explain why. Well, they, they claim that um, they wanted to keep it open. There's only 300 people. And at that point, there was only like 500 there. And they can hold, you know, over 3,000. And they only had like 500 people in the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And they said, oh, well, we don't want to go there. we got to keep it open. And that was the line that they sent us. We, we, we want to keep it open in case there's a local emergency. That's and a lot I'm of thinking, people. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking like, well, wait a second. You guys are going to cause the local emergency by not going there, <laughs> by going to the goddamn hotel. So so it ends up, so they say, yeah, we don't want to go there. We want our people in, in a hotel in the city. I cannot believe this. Like, this is true. And I'm, I'm talking to these health people, and they're saying, we just, we can't believe this. The, this is, and so it's, it's Heggie who signed off on it. From what I understand, there was a lot of, uh, highly placed people saying don't do this this is a bad idea 
Look at what has happened everywhere else in this country in terms of outbreaks. It all happens in hotels and it happens in hotels in the CBD. Like, I, I just, I can't believe that he did that either. And, and like the people that I'm talking to are frustrated. They're upset about this. They've been working hard to keep us all safe. And in fact, keep the country safe with all of the, the repatriation flights. And that's where, you know, the biggest risks are those flights from London and India. So anyway, um, the, 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 they're understandably frustrated about this, but it happens. It goes ahead and, and these people start coming up. And then I think it was the ABC found that it was at Travel Lodge. They're walking by. There's, mm. you know, <laughs> guards out there. And the weird thing is, too, so I went down there to take a photo on that Monday as well. And I ran into Al, the ABC cameraman there. He's a good guy. And we were chatting and we noticed that the, 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 the guy working the gate didn't have a mask on. Like he's, <laughs> he's got these people coming in mm-hmm. and now these people are from Europe. And that was the thing. And the, one of the biggest fears too was like, what strain are we going to get here? Like we're, we got these people from these globally recognized hotspot places mm-hmm. where coronavirus is bad and they're, you know, mutant strains of it. And variants and when, you know, what are we going to get here in Darwin? Now, what happens is, of course, within a few days, um, less than a week, uh, sure enough, we've got two positive cases of COVID in this, in the Travel Lodge Hotel. Now, the, the government says they put out a statement saying that they've taken those two people who are asymptomatic, moved them to Howard Springs, and also moved all of their close contacts that were at the hotel. So you're looking at 19 people. Um, in total, that the, were removed from the hotel and then taken to the facility. Now, why wouldn't you just do that from the beginning? They wouldn't have had to have started this over. We wouldn't have the fear about this. Now, the thing that I was trying to get, the, the other angle on this story, um, when, when that happened with that break, outbreak kind of thing, happened with the two cases, the question that was always in people's minds that I was talking to in the health profession is, are they trained, the staff, at these hotels? Are they trained to, to handle this? Do they have the right PPE gear? Do they know what to do when they go in there? So you've got somebody who, like, this guy isn't, isn't, he's asymptomatic. It was a young guy, I think a 19 year old. So does he, does he go out of his room to get a test or something? And do the cleaners come in and just clean like they normally do without knowing? And he doesn't know that he's sick. And then yeah. they go out and then they go down to the Woolies on their way home. <laughs> they get some yeah. groceries. Drop so, off some COVID. <laughs> yeah. And then we've got it. And then we've got the community transmission that we've avoided to date. So, yeah. So there were concerns around that. And they've said that there were, that they had these protocols in place and that, that they weren't breached. That was very interesting that they talked about breaching protocols because I'm not sure about that and how, you know, Travel Lodge, they didn't do it before. I'm, I'm just really curious and I couldn't get really any, any answers on that, but how their staff would have been trained that quickly yeah. and how they handled all of that. And I, I think that's suspicious, but now here's where it went. So the story that you're referencing from earlier this week now was that the two weeks had elapsed from that Monday when they were going to start doing it. So on the 18th, uh, people started going home or not home, but they were going to wherever they were going new South Wales, ACT, wherever is part of this college contingent, they said, um, this is the story, but we know that there are other Australians in there too. Anyway, um, they let them go on the Monday and the Monday afternoon, they said they're going out and then Tuesday they're going out and we're bringing in some more people too. Well, we still don't know what strain that was from the week before on that Wednesday, when it came out that, that there was positive cases there. We don't know what strain. And it, I think you had um, Dr. John Boffa um, 
who was on ABC saying that, look, it takes six days to find out what the strain is. And now they're sending these people out. It hasn't been six days. We don't have this back yet. Now, come to find out, that was absolutely true. So I went to um, I went to ADF and I said that, uh, do we know what strain it is? We know you're letting people leave today. You know, can you confirm that they're leaving? And do we know what strain it is yet? And they said, no, yeah, they're leaving. Um, talk to the anti-government about what strain it is. So I did, you know, I sent questions to the COVID media team and they ignored us, you know, not that this is, you know, and I, and I informed them in that email too. I said, guys, like, this is a public health issue. Okay. So to, to not respond to us because of political orders may actually in fact be illegal here now. Like let's yeah. get serious about this. You can't just not talk to us when you've got public health issue here that we're the ones asking about it. So, um, we don't get an answer back on that. Now, the next morning, Michael Gunner goes on ABC radio and I think it came up and he said, no, we still don't know what strain it is. And this is, everybody's uh, gone. The people who were in there yeah. are all gone. The people who were there when this guy and, and woman were contagious, they're gone. They're, they're, they've, they're on flights. They're heading down yeah. your way, Pete. You swing by just, the airport. There, just, say hello. just thank your lucky stars. They've gone to New South Wales. <laughs> yeah, and, and they've uh, taken the D strain with them. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're going to call it the D strain from now on. <laughs> so, yeah, look how how they handled that. I mean, I yeah, you, you asked that about design or luck or what? Like yeah. on this kind of occasion, this is luck. And if if it hasn't mm. been out there, you know what's going to be interesting is um, the sewage testing that they've been talking yeah. about. Now, they talked about this over the holidays when we were on break, but <laughs> be looking into that because I think you're going to see a lot more cases of it than what we think. Yeah. And um, how we just haven't got to that that stage yet, though, where we've had like a real outbreak. In a, well, in a I thought sewage testing would be so easy in Darwin. You can smell it in uh, some of these suburbs. By Khan's place there, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine you've you've worked all your life and it's uh, it's it's built up to this being your greatest moment in your in your sewage testing life, <laughs> sifting through for the D strain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you something else. I thought about that when um, when I saw the picture of the the I was going to say the alleged hotel, but we know it is the travel lodge, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever stayed there. I mean, it, it does have no. a nice – it's got a yeah, nice resort-style pool in the middle. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that the Howard Springs facility would be a hell of a lot more comfortable than, uh, than yeah. the travel lodge in Darwin. That's what I don't get. Like, you know, you, you hear these reports from the people. Like the woman over the holidays, too, tried to jump the fence. <laughs> and the guy, and the guy like, filmed her and, and ratted her out, bobbed on her because he said, like, I'm not losing my pool privileges over this. <laughs> Like, you know, they're having a good time out there. But the thing is, like, and, you know, they've done these studies now about these new strains, right? That, that is it getting through the air conditioning units? Is it getting through, you know, how, how the air circulates in a hotel? Now, what yeah. is better than, than being outside? Yep. I mean, there isn't. That's what they said. That's why this Howard Springs yeah. facility is so good. And it's right there. They're, they can use it. There's space to use it. I don't know if ADF was trying to say that there might be a cyclone. And we'd have to put people there, but we couldn't possibly put people there in a cyclone while it's still being used as a quarantine facility without it being set up. So their whole their whole story just did not yeah. check out, did not make sense. And and really, like you point out, Pete, it would make more sense for them to go there. It's, it's probably is a decent facility. By yeah. all accounts, it is. So yeah, just go yeah. there, do two weeks, and go the hell wherever you want. The travel lodge at best is probably <laughs> three stars. That's on a good day. 
<laughs> Howard Springs facility is not that old. You know, it's got yeah. everything you need. It's it's uh, it's all self set up for you can cook for yourself. It's, it would it would be personal AC as well. It wouldn't be central, so yeah. it, it'd be yeah less sure. likely to spread things anyway. Yeah. What can yeah. you do? Well, we'll we'll keep monitoring that. I think there's more going to come out of that. They're yeah, uh, the there is. Month, the end of the month, and they're saying they'll all be out of there, which isn't a story. They said that from the beginning. I think the NT News ran a story today. Oh, they're gonna they're backing out of it now. They're gonna be done as of February one. No, that was always the plan. That was the plan from the beginning. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that I think that we may hear more about what actually happened in there soon, and and maybe they'll tell us. Maybe they should tell the public what strain it was that was there and how it was contained yeah. and, and if everybody used the right equipment and we're all good. So, yeah, yeah um, more questions. So, in answer to my question earlier, good luck is the answer. <laughs> <coughs> right. Yeah. A- a- and finally tonight, uh, the NT Park entry fees are not solely about raising revenue, according to the Chief Minister. <laughs> <laughs> people were like laughing about this like what is he talking about i was talking to the opposition about it. you guys did you guys get what he was saying there <laughs> no we don't know what he was saying i i listened to him i listened to him like look the, the story came out um kind of over the break here and uh one of these things where maybe the the journalists are looking for something to fill some space. So they think, Oh, let's get into this park entry fee stuff, which is, you know, which was raised way back in 2019 in the, uh, in the Langalon. No, it was the, uh, around the time the Langalon review came out, but also that root and branch review of how the government can raise funds. And one of the things was introducing park entry fees and increasing camping charges. So it's kind of been on the cards for a while. Now, what, where the government really kind of screwed up on this in their communication strategy is that they let it get out that they told the NT News, okay, we're going to do this. And then we'll get back to the public with details and consultations and things like that later. But yeah, go ahead, write a story about how we're going to bring in, we're going to introduce these feats. Like, I don't understand the strategy behind that, why you would just do that like that and just throw it out there. Um, without having a plan, without explaining to people what exactly you're going to do and letting them comment on it, and, you know, consulting. This is this is old communication failures like the old Giles CLP would do. They'd come up <laughs> with these ideas, they'd throw them out there, they would completely piss off the public and then end up backpedaling on it when maybe there was some merit to the idea, right? But you didn't take the people along with you. You didn't explain to them why you were doing it and you didn't listen to what their concerns were for it. So this is exactly what we have here now with this. So they've thrown this out there. Now, Gunner's asked about it, and he's all over the map on it. He doesn't know exactly. Like, he's saying, he's saying, look, we, we want to do it like this, where we're going to have this online camping fee. And then he talks about how he goes camping, which I doubt very much that he's ever been at a campsite <laughs> in the Northern Territory. But anyway, Camps in his living room. Yeah, get his old <laughs> Mick Gundy hat on and everything. And he heads out. So anyway, he says, you know, and we want to make this better because we can't, we can't ask for more money and then not provide more services. Right. So this is where things start, start to come off the rails in terms of why are they doing this? Are they doing this to raise money? Or like to raise revenue that they need, much needed revenue, or you know, are they doing it to improve things? It's going to end up costing them more money, and that's kind of where <laughs> it started to go. And Gunnar even said that he said, 
whatever money we raise from this, we'll still be putting more into our parks than what we bring in from these fees. So it's still costing uh-huh. more money. So I, yeah, it was really poorly explained, but the idea is this, that he, well, for one thing, I don't know, you get the park entry fees, that's something else. But then he wants, he wants this whole online camping thing where you can go and book. And the, I don't know how the hell this is going to work in remote areas when you get there and someone's in your spot <laughs> and like you have no internet access. Like what do yeah. you do? Um, but anyway, he thinks that this is this is the way to do it, that everybody's going to love it, and that it's going to be such a great system that they'll be willing to pay a lot more money for it. I I don't know. And then you get into this thing, and it's like, well, how are you monitoring this stuff? How are you, you going to bring this in? He couldn't say. I mean, he couldn't explain it. It was just like going in circles here that, uh, yeah, that you know, we have to increase fees, but it's not actually going to bring in any more money for us. This isn't about bringing in money now, <laughs> even though it was identified as certainly that is a revenue generating thing. And now it's yeah. not about that. It's about providing better service for people. Like what was his line? It was like, he was like an old car salesman or something. Um, if you do it simply from a grounds of how can I make extra cash? You won't make the extra cash. People have to want to visit our parks we need to improve the visitor experience, not raise extra money. Like, <laughs> wow! <laughs> I don't know what he's selling. I don't know what he's. I don't know who the hell's buying it. It sounds particularly confusing. Maybe, um, maybe you should wait for the business plan to come out, which usually gets <laughs> to, gets done retrospectively. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, they've already they've already had this on the cards for nearly two years. Like it was early 2019 when this was first brought up and i mean i think it had been brought up years ago anyway it's been on the table for years but you've got now nearly two years and gunner saying well i don't want to consult with people yet until we know exactly what we're consulting about how the hell do you not know two years later like this yeah. sounds to me like it's still even a year off now yep yep but but what then why the hell is he talking about it now why did he mm. let the exactly. newspaper run the story on it without being in front of the message and what he was trying to sell to people anyway so uh. Yeah. <laughs> man it's just that's what they're paying those one hundred and fifty thousand dollars exactly right for come it's, up with ideas like this it definitely uh, sounds like they need that policy advisor quick smart yeah. <laughs> just a whole camping policy advisor park fees advisor here that's two hundred thousand why not Jesus the other thing Christ. they could try and reintroduce is the old uh uh boat licenses and uh, boat registrations that's always been particularly uh heavily met with resistance in the past well funny you mentioned that that's exactly what uh what the clp said so gerard malley i guess lee has been on yeah. on holidays now so deputy leader gerard malley come out and he said uh, look you know they didn't talk about this in the lead up to the election like yeah it came on 2019 but it was just there there were a lot of things that were there um what's he gonna spring on territorians next fishing licenses boat <laughs> registration <laughs> i don't know yeah you know because but that's a better see that's a better people will get that in their head then they've they've yeah. won the narrative on this because the yeah. government has stumbled from the beginning trying to explain properly what they're trying to sell to people yes. what they're trying to give people and they've come in and said oh yeah well this is just like fishing licenses or boat registration yeah, this is yeah. a debacle yeah. so yeah they gotta they gotta do better than this if they're gonna you know like look we we need money they need to find ways to do it i don't know park fees are gonna really be the big the big money spinner yeah that's you wouldn't have thought so no getting rid of some staff <laughs> Going to say I th- more. I thought the big revenue spinners were going to be uh, solar 
and uh, and onshore gas. Yeah, the stuff Weren't we've been talking s- about for years. They were going to solve all the problems. Yeah, yeah, and we're still yeah. waiting on that stuff. And yeah. will it happen in 2021? No, probably not. But um, someday, yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah, we can only hope. <laughs> well, mate, uh, it sounds like you've um, you know you've opened the betting quite well for this year. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving the vibe of these conversations. This is brilliant. <laughs> it is. It is refreshing. You've, we have you've played a really players. good straight bat for the first twenty overs, and I've seen you hit a couple of fours. And uh, I think this is you're going to go on to make a big hundred here. That's big right. hundred. That's right. <laughs> And, and look, also, I just want to know. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I'm talking to So, are you getting uh, are you getting some respect and uh, and some um, engagement from the public service? Given that Michael Gunner said that he didn't tell the public service not to talk to you. Yeah. Well, look, yeah, that, that was why when we went to the COVID media team for something that serious that we thought, okay, you know, guys, like the game's over here. You've been found to, to not be doing things properly here. And, and quite possibly is illegal. Um, but no, they just completely ignored us again. And that's it. Just what? who knows who made the order at this point? I guess it doesn't matter. And the same with the police, right? We had this other story came out today about the, 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 their, um, charging people now for crimes that happened in October and then they're tying them into stuff that happened in January as well. Anyway, it's really, it's raised some questions. So we went to them today and said, look, you know, what, why are you doing this stuff from three months ago? And you should have probably been arresting people three months ago instead of now. And they, they won't talk to us either. And there's no explanation on that either. Um, so look, yeah, we're, we're where we were. Uh, We'll keep going. <laughs> well, I think you've always got to beware of the double negative. He didn't tell them not to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, look, whether it was him or it wasn't, I mean, that, that's clearly a directive just not to engage with us, which is really funny too because I had this FOI request that they, 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 they had um, redacted. And and one of the reasons for redacting it was that they said that it would be taken out of context and mischief and, and reported mischievously. And I and I thought and I and I wrote back to them and I said, you know, you guys can give us a comment on it and we'll run it. That's what we do. We're journalists. So yeah. here's this report that I want. I should have that information. The public should have that information. If you don't think it's going to be reported fairly, well, here's your chance. Give us a comment on it. Yeah. Give people the context that you want this scene in, and, and we'll report that fairly and accurately. Like that's just what we have to do. We're obligated to do that. You know, that's just how journalism works. It's mm. editorial independence here on, on 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 being fair with people, and they don't get that, and they just want to disengage, and um, and that mm. never works. That whole strategy of disengaging and trying to discredit just doesn't work. I mean, we get stronger the more that they do this, and yeah. and they they get weaker. So, um, look, New Year, I guess, uh, same old ban. Um, mm. We'll see where it goes, but I, yeah, I, I, we're certainly not running from it, and I think that the pressure's only going to get turned up on on both you know, Michael Gunner and his public servants who are carrying out his bidding, um, mm. potentially illegally and certainly to the detriment of territorians. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. 
Chris, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, we always uh, are happy to have you on here and we will continue to have you on here every week. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It was good being back with you. Looking forward to next week again. Thanks, Chris. That was Chris Wells from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, the weekend edition of the Territory Story podcast, a.k.a. Weekends with Bolshe, back again next week. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.